0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia.
1: In today's episode, we have Lachlan,
0: Lauren, Camille, and, and Rick. I'm
1: Jocelyn.
2: <laughs> giant monsters. Cities destroyed by massive fights. And giant piloted robotic and mechanical creatures, and mechs and the way they fight and save humanity. In other words, we're talking about the monster movie genre and movies like Pacific Rim, which is out in cinemas now, and looking at whether or not any of this is feasible. We love watching things be destroyed and rise from the ashes, and we especially love when cities are under attack from crazy giant monsters, and no city has been under attack from more monsters than the most famous monster city of all, Tokyo.
3: I don't know. I think New York's a pretty, pretty close contender for That's that. That's true, aliens but- Aliens do like visiting there.
2: That's true. Aliens less, mo- less more aliens less monsters. So we're going to focus for this, the city of the week is Tokyo, which is a convenient launching point. Um, Tokyo is a fantastic and interesting city, and it's one of the most crazily designed cities. I don't know if any of you've seen Evangelion, which is one of the very famous anime, which has all these, uh, Giant aliens fighting giant autonomous, or not autonomous, piloted robot craft mechs called Ava's. But what's really interesting about that is not so much the mechs and the aliens, but the city defense stuff where the missiles pop out of the buildings, the buildings shrink into the mountains and all these other crazy things that happened. And you go, well, that's just Japan things being Japan. But Japan is crazily engineered because there's not much space. Everyone's a little crammed in. There's 16 million people plus in Tokyo, um, and then not a very large area. And for what they've done to keep the city safe from the earthquakes, and tsunamis that are a regular occurrence in Japan. They've designed the city with these crazy bunkers, evacuation systems where they can evacuate entire neighborhoods into specific locations in under a minute. It's just part of this crazily engineered system. Looking at the city like Tokyo and you will see really what a city of the future looks like. From So next time you watch a monster movie and see this crazy city disappearing into the mountainside and giant robots popping out, give it 20 years and you know, it could happen.
0: So, Camille, are you afraid of spiders? No. What are you afraid of, then? I don't actually know.
3: Would you be afraid of giant spiders?
0: Possibly. That is, that is a bit more scary than my size. And when you get scared of something, one thing that activates in you is your fight-or-flight response, which, you know, is, a re- is your reaction of fear. Do you fight the thing or do you flee oh, no, from sorry. it? And this is, this is one of the reasons why monster movies are such a big cultural phenomenon, because they, presu- they produce a predator for the human race, and that activates our fight or flight response.
4: When you talk about the flight and or fight response, Lauren, you're talking about sort of um the body's response to the hormone adrenaline, is that correct?
0: Yeah, um your sympathetic your sympathetic nervous system um becomes activated and it reduce and it produces hormones like adrenaline and stuff like that to help you react to this fear or yes yeah, stimulus.
4: Okay, so what you're saying is um something triggers in my brain saying this is gonna hurt me unless I get rid of it. And so then my body goes into, like, this hypertense situation where I am able to use my muscles more effectively and run away or fight something. Is that right?
0: Exactly, and that usually happens on a smaller scale. But If you've got a monster movie and you've got this massive, like, Godzilla attacking you, how do you respond then?
2: I run faster. (laughs) And And what the question we're getting at here is, why do they have such a hold over us? And it's because this mechanism that we have doesn't really get used for predators anymore because there aren't any natural predators of humans in our environment we killed them all that's right and so culturally we don't we have all these like biological mechanisms in place and we don't have any use for them because basically the only time they get used are in a human to human situation and we're very good at fighting amongst humans i'm not disputing that <laughs> humans number one predator is human but um from animals the idea that something could eat us or kill us or hunt us is really scary to us because there's no context we don't have
4: anything like that in our lives
0: is that why we root for the giant like robots we create to fight them?
4: yes it's actually um they think that has some tiebacks to sort of primal psychology now stop me if I'm wrong because I've never studied psychology in my life
2: <laughs> but, but you have glasses
4: I do I'm wearing glasses so that's fine um when we have things like, um, some people are afraid of the dark, and afraid of not being able to see around them, um, and they sort of get an urge to run away, that's actually an urge to not be seen by predators, or not be in a situation where you're vulnerable and can't see the threats around you. Um, and they actually are thinking as well that um, when people shiver or recoil from the nails of a blackboard, that's actually um, matching up to like the call of, or, a de- or a cry of an ancient predator that we used to run away from. And so we're programmed to respond with revulsion to run away from this awful thing that used to make that noise and kill us. We
3: really want to know what that thing was now. There's the a theory, <laughs> uh, and another theory to do with, um, like many horror movies have, uh, central town of horror movies is faceless creatures with sharp teeth and long claws. And there is a theory that, that this was some sort of ancient predator, although there's no paleological records to substantiate that
0: is that why in movies they um, wait for so long before they show you what the actual monster is because fearing what you can't see or don't know about is just such a massive fear and once you can actually see it and put a face to it it's slightly human fear of the
3: unknown is greater than any other fear so are you saying that
4: um that was actually sort of those movies that tying into a primal consciousness of fear potentially yes that's so interesting and what gets really great out of it, that's why we love and we keep
2: making these movies. It's not that we love watching Tokyo or New York or other cities get destroyed. It's that we're exploring an idea that we, we, we know and evolutionarily evolved out of. We've, we don't longer have this enemy to fear. And so so it's,
0: it's not just the fact that if Tokyo and, like, New York and suffer destroyed, people might actually realise that Australia and Melbourne exists on the map?
2: <laughs> well, it's okay. In Pacific uh, Rim, uh, for example, there is an Australian mech, and Australia is under attack. Look yes! In
3: fact, a central... Uh, oh, a, a central theme of Pacific Rim is the idea that the entire world comes together. It's not just America saves the day. Yes,
2: or, or, or Japan, for that matter. It's the entire world in the Pacific Rim working together. And that's one of the really interesting parts about all these monster movies... It's not just about the predator who can uh, devour us or defeat us. It's about the way we respond to that predator and then usually defeat that predator. So it's not just the cultural fear being played out that we we, we have this predator and all oh, and it's scary, but it's also telling the same evolutionary story that we have been through. We have these predators, they're scary, they're terrifying, and we have overcome them and we're left in a society afterwards.
4: Also interesting is that, that we often don't understand the things we're fighting. Because it's the fear of the unknown and not being able to actually overcome these things rationally.
3: Yes, I mean, has anyone seen the uh, zombie film Warm Bodies? The main, the main theme of that is that the en- once you understand the enemy, you may be, in fact be able to work better with them. But what, while they're unknown, they're just something that wants to kill you. And there's a lot of allegories in
2: that now, not just for predators, but for human behavior more generally. And as I said, our major predator nowadays is actually each other. And that's our major risk factor. And we've sort of transplanted a lot of the mechanisms and psychological responses that animals have to each other to the way humans interact with each other. Not so much a higher order species above us, but the way we interact with other people. Fear of the unknown is something that plagues all societies just like fear of predators would be in
4: the past um, I read a really interesting language study related to that Justin um, you had a sample school in a pretty racially tense neighbourhood in America um, and they taught half of the kids sort of a European language and half of them a Middle Eastern language and they actually sort of um, measured the, the racial tensions between... or the, the attitudes towards people from very different societies. And the kids that learned the Middle Eastern languages were actually more tolerant and more willing to start recognising other people as people.
2: And what we get to there is normalising, removing the fear of the unknown. So one of the great parts about monster movies is that they explore an untapped subconscious urge that from said predates humans that we've evolved out of. And it was also a great way of exploring... Our own psychology, what drives us, what we fear, not just in the past when we were smaller creatures who were were terrified of predators, but also in the future and currently, how we deal with the other members of the human society. So, monster movies, whilst a bit of fun, have some interesting science and some interesting psychology amongst all of that. Lachlan, who's your favourite giant monster? Definitely, definitely Godzilla. Okay, well... What about you, Lauren? Which monster do you like? Mega <laughs> Godzilla. What about you, Camille? Do you like something more niche, more unusual, like the
3: Cloverfield monster? I was I was going to go for Crocosaurus, but yes. <laughs> nah. No. Personally, I'm a fa- I'm a fan of Sharknado, yep. which is a tornado made of sharks.
2: I really actually liked Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus because I found that quite enjoyable and surreal. Um, So, as you can see, all of us have had experience with with all these monster movies, and they're a genre that exists, and there's something about an unusually sized creature that is bigger than it should be. All these examples here are are animals that exist normally in the wild, taken to a weird level of twist. So the question we're going to ask now is, how feasible are some of these creatures? So let's start with Lachlan. Give us your case for why you think Godzilla could be
4: a functioning monster that could plague our world. Okay, when things evolve, they're trying to maximise their reproductive success, and they're trying to maximise how many resources they can take. So, if you have a lot of little lizards running around, the bigger lizards will kill the little lizards. Until eventually, you only have one lizard left, and that lizard just goes and destroys the entirety of, New- of, of, of um, Tokyo. That makes a lot of sense to me. But I reckon the
3: that doesn't seem to be maximizing its reproductive success. Yeah, because if it's a high order consumer
4: I oh, know, it eats everyone and lays a lot of eggs.
1: But how are those small those mini Godzillas aka like more
4: like a building, so you know the small ones, how are they gonna survive? if
0: Mama Godzilla's eaten all the resources and smashed through it. What's your
3: case for Godzilla?
4: Well,
0: could they be getting rid of all um, possible competitors for food by doing that?
4: And then dying out themselves, only leaving a couple to survive? Mm -hmm. But my other theory with Godzilla is a lot of, uh, sometimes in the Godzilla canon, which is a very, very diverse and complex (laughs) creature, um, Godzilla can breathe laser beams. Which leads me to the point where Godzilla must be photosynthetic. So it doesn't need to only eat people, it can survive on the light of the sun's rays. He's Are you saying
0: sh- that it's just eating people for fun?
4: Pretty much, <laughs> it's doing it for the lols.
0: It's not a titan! It's not a titan that doesn't work like that!
2: <laughs> I'm pretty sure also what you're suggesting is that Godzilla is effectively like a Venusaur from the Pokemon universe, inasmuch as it can absorb light and use it out to emit some sort of power. So it's the
0: Venusaur with um, Who Wants Revenge on the people that went out and captured it all the time.
2: Yeah, and that's a really interesting side note about Pokemon. As it's, you don't think about Pokemon
3: as a monster movie, but at its heart, yeah, Pokemon it's is awesome. a monster movie Pocket just,
0: monsters. <laughs> just like
3: Godzilla. In fact, there are several Pokemon who are very similar in shape and size to Godzilla. Mm. And down mm. to the um, Tyranitar, Tyranitar, oh, Rhydon, right. Nido King, um, Nido, Nido Queen, mm. the Gatini, the, the guy from Ruby. Big red thing. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, Groudon. He's
2: actually just a Godzilla. Luke, yeah. not, not Luke, He's yeah. a land-sized yeah. 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 Um, monster. So it's, it's really interesting that you, you reckon that evolutionarily they could have evolved to be that size. I guess the question then is, why don't we see giant creatures nowadays? Because in the dinosaur age, we had a lot of really, really big creatures like that. So evolutionarily, it can happen. We've got the proof. So why do we have them now?
1: Justin, um, I think it's important to uh, acknowledge that the uh, the world that we live in today is a lot different than the world that existed in the time of the dinosaurs. Um, if you look back, for instance, the atmosphere has changed uh, a heck of a lot. Um, for instance, in the past, there was a lot more oxygen around, and this... Increased oxygen content was what actually enabled uh, the bigger mammals um, that we've seen in the past, like the the mammoth um, and other bigger animals such as the dinosaur.
2: Why is that important? Why is the oxygen content important?
1: Okay, so uh, as well as uh, the resources such as food, the more oxygen pretty much lead to a bigger size because you need uh, more oxygen for a larger mass to operate the animal's uh, functions such as the respiratory system, Um, and also fulfilling other critical things. Um, So,
4: Ricardo, are you saying that having more oxygen in the atmosphere means you can get a bigger creature with less lung space? Less lung space and probably better functioning muscles, because one of the real
2: important uses of oxygen is actually to power our muscles. When you're feeling short of breath after exercising,
3: it's because your muscles aren't getting enough oxygen. So what you're saying is if we do manage to increase oxygen levels in the atmosphere, planting more trees, Improving ozone production, etc. We could get giant dinosaurs.
1: Well, we might see the return of these uh, giant mammals and uh, maybe the birds would backwards evolve.
3: And that's really
2: interesting. So you're suggesting that one of the major reasons isn't so much the food or the presence of humans, but really we are sized based on the capacity of our environment in a really subtle way that we can't even see. And that's a really interesting thing. If Godzilla was able to mutate out of an iguana, like I suggested in canon, it wouldn't be able to survive now because it wouldn't be able to get enough oxygen to function.
4: This is a very important um, idea in biology where as you increase the surface area and mass of a creature, you have to have more energy intake for the same amount of mass. So the metabolic rate actually increases the bigger you get.
0: So we're saying it, it's we've got less chance of um, a giant creature spontaneously evolving and taking place in our world, but could we create our own massive
2: creatures? Well, uh, and the question there is, if we, as long as we can provide a way of getting enough oxygen to them, the other question, as Lachlan raised, was the metabolism and the amount of energy and food that you would need. So either we have a highly concentrated specific food source for them, or we'd have to waste a lot of resources.
4: I think this brings us to the idea of Mega Godzilla, where if you had um, bioengineering or even actual engineering problems, if you equipped a Godzilla with this breathing tank that gave hyper-concentrated oxygen, you'd be well on your way back to replicating those Jurassic conditions.
2: And that's a really fascinating part about thinking about the actual science and limitations behind this. But the bigger you get, the more problems they come up. Another issue raised is if he's in water, which is one of Godzilla's natural territories emerging out of, he would be at varying different pressures at Depending different on... parts of his body.
4: <laughs>
1: so what you're saying is um, uh, Godzilla offers a lot of insight to uh, divers who experience a lot of problems when they're um, diving and then resurfacing. Godzilla has somehow overcome the problems associated with the lung uh, expansion.
2: Well, that, that's right. Once you're in that big size, you have a lot more problems and you have to think and really uh, engineer everything. So even if, if we made Mecha Godzilla and gave him a nice tank, we'd still have to solve all these challenges. And so, if we want giant monsters, we can do it. The answer is yes, but there's a lot of things we need to overcome and think about. Because as soon as you increase the size, a lot of other things become much more difficult.
0: This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.